Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Brand Builder Show, and uh, we're in for a good one today. I've got my friend Leslie from Riverbend Consulting here. Leslie, welcome to the show today. Hey, Ben, excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here because um, I have actually utilized the amazing services of Riverbend before. You guys helped us out when we were really in a pickle and uh, you guys are like the ninjas of the Amazon Seller Central world, can solve just about any problem. And uh, and so I'm sure there's going to be some golden nuggets in here for our audience about managing a business, growing an Amazon business in, you know, uh, less favorable times than maybe we saw a few years ago. So I'm excited to hear about all that. Uh, you have to share with us today but before uh, we get into that why don't you give us a bit of a longer intro about yourself how you came to be part of Riverbend maybe even just a you know a little bit about the Riverbend story itself how you guys became to be you know uh, a very influential agency give us the rundown and then we'll dive into it Sure. Well, my background is actually in uh, business consulting, small business consulting. So in the marketing side, doing some PR. But before that, I did operational consulting. So back in the day, it was actually helping people redesign the line at their small manufacturing plant. Um, so then in 2010, I started selling on Amazon and I've, I still sell on Amazon today. Wow. Um, but at the time, you know, I was really enjoying the, the kind of part-time work when I want to Amazon gig. But then I decided I wanted to get back into consulting and I started going to conferences and meeting a lot of people. And oh my goodness, there were a lot of needs, especially in the my account's been suspended. What do I do space? <laughs> yeah. And my ASINs are taken down or you know, my warehouse just isn't functioning the way that I really think it should be functioning. And I started thinking, oh my goodness, all of these skills I had back in the day, old school businesses, it's all the same thing. It's just e-commerce. Started helping people out with account appeals and met my now business partner, Joe Zalta, because his account had been suspended. He had tried many times to get it reinstated, couldn't get her done. And I wrote him an appeal and the next day he was turned back on. And he said, you know what? We really need to do this together. We've got to get together, launch a business. So we did about five years ago. He's really strong on the sales side. I manage our service team. And we've grown from starting out with four people. Now we have 75. Wow. And we've just gradually added services that do one of two things. Either we're trying to solve a problem with Amazon that is super frustrating, like your inventory is stuck in transshipping for 90 days and you don't know why, or all of a sudden your brand registry is suspended and they say you're abusive, but you didn't do anything. That kind of stuff where you, you go to seller support a thousand times and they're not helpful. So that's kind of one category. And then another category is some of the dirty work, the things that are too time consuming, like reimbursements or uh, feedback removal or answering customer service messages if you're a big merchant fulfilled seller. So we, we honestly just, we've made a business out of doing the things no one else wants to do. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's big business, especially with Amazon. And that's something I would love to talk to you about. Uh, you know, how, how can people really win in 2022? Uh, you know, when it feels like at times we're fighting against Amazon sometimes. Amazon is the, you know, the, the, the one who gives but also takes at the same time. Uh, how do sellers continue to A, win in this environment, but also B, stay sane 
and not lose their minds? See, that is such a great question, especially I think I'm a very confusing person to others who see the content I put out there because I'm Amazon's biggest cheerleader. And yet I'll tell you all these horror stories about things mm. that happen to sellers. So it sounds like two different people talking. Um, so I think right now sellers have to make sure they do not invite trouble mm. because if you aren't handling all the details of your business, if you're not completely on top of it, you're at risk of losing revenue sources. You cannot have your best ASINs taken down right now because mm. we're all going to struggle to have our sales continue at the same level um, in, a, in a, an inflationary environment when now consumer confidence is starting to drop, people aren't going to spend as much. All of those things are working against you. So the last thing you can afford to do is not stay on top of product quality, answering customer messages, doing the things you have to do on Amazon, giving them any ammunition to take down your products. And my, my very favorite strategy for this, I call it fix your worst ASIN but you're fixing your worst ASIN all the time. It's continual improvement. Run your return reports. Where do you have the most returns? Those ASINs are at risk of being suspended and they're costing you more money because returns kill your margins I and mean, just destroy them. So run your returns reports, figure out which ASINs are problematic. Look at all the data that you're given. Don't assume customers are all bad people. I know some of them are, but don't assume that they're all lying. Look at voice of the customer. Look at reviews. Look at store feedback. Look at your customer service messages. There's something to improve about that worst ASIN. Your packaging, um, your listing, it might be confusing. Um, it could be a size issue that you can solve. It can be a manufacturing or QA issue. Tackle that one ASIN, make it better, and then I'm sorry, but your job isn't done because then you do the next work, worse ASIN. And if you do this, there are two great rewards. One is you're keeping Amazon off your back with product quality, and two is you're going to make more money. Yeah. You say product quality. How does one go about if they get their dreaded, uh, you know, warning that your product is at risk of suppression because of customer feedback we, we've probably all had it right it can easily happen if you get a few bad reviews all at once what are some of the steps that you would recommend a seller to take to you know mitigate that to overcome that uh, to make sure it doesn't continue to happen so step one and see you can tell I've worked with just thousands of sellers when I say this because I just said it and I'm going to say it again you have to believe the data I know it's really tempting to fight the data. Yeah. It doesn't even matter if some of the buyers aren't telling the truth because this is what Amazon believes. Mm -hmm. Because Amazon sides with the buyer, not the seller. They believe the data, so you have to believe the data. So you have to believe all the data, collect all the data, and then really try and make real change. Now, when, some, when they say something's at risk of removal or you get the voice of the customer warnings, you can go in and parse that. Sometimes it really isn't on you. The AI, the artificial intelligence at Amazon is saying that because something was an accidental order by five people, somehow that means you've got a voice of the customer problem. So that's obviously a miscategorization of data and you can move on and not worry about that one. But if there is something where you're seeing consistent 
comments, you've got to take action. So a quick example, I had a client selling a bundled shampoo and conditioner. They kept getting comments that people were receiving two shampoos. And this guy fought me to no end. We're sending a shampoo and conditioner. These people are all lying. They just want free stuff. <laughs> but I mean, 12 orders, 15 orders, 20 orders. Obviously, you have a problem. I'm like, please, just go in your warehouse and look. He went and looked. They were doing it wrong. They were bundling it wrong and sending it off to FBA in incorrect bundles. If you take action and you're watching voice of the customer when you have two or three of those come in before Amazon's even yelling at you, think how much better off you are from not having all those returns. Yeah, definitely. Do you um, recommend people go in there like on a weekly basis, monthly basis, voice of the customer? Does it depend on volume, I suppose? It's very much dependent on volume because there are some accounts where uh, we have clients who have someone assigned to look hourly because oh, they have so oh, much you're volume. you going to say daily. Yeah, yeah, because wow. they have so much. You know, there are sellers out there that do more than a billion dollars on Amazon. And so they are continually monitoring voice of the customer. If you're an average seller, you definitely need to look at it weekly. Uh, mm. Monthly is too long. Um, the reason it's too long is if you're actively sending in new shipments, there's always opportunities for problems in those shipments. Yeah. The wrong item, you know, bad stickering, or even a problem at Amazon with how they received the inventory. Mm. You know how they'll randomly re-sticker something improperly sometime for no mm. apparent reason? These things yeah. happen and you need to catch them early on. Yeah. When we talk about uh, you know issues with Amazon and frustrations with seller support, can you give our, our listeners any kind of insight? Because you would deal with seller support issues, appeals, day in, day out. Why does it have such a bad reputation? What is going on behind the scenes that makes seller support so frustrating to deal with? Is there something we don't see that's just, is it the volume? What, what's going on? It's really the same problem you see at most tech-oriented companies and companies that have large call centers um, where they have high turnover and not good enough training. Mm. And so they, it, you might remember when Amazon relaunched brand registry not long ago, um, the support was amazing for about mm. six months. <laughs> and then it got just as bad as seller support. It's yeah. because the people who built that offering were actually doing the support for six months. And then they mm -hmm. rotated in all new people and it's garbage, just like seller support. So mm -hmm. a lot of it is turnover. Amazon also believes in rotating people into different departments continually at all <laughs> levels. And because of that, you know, I, I get it from one viewpoint, like I understand you're taking ideas to different departments and building well-rounded personnel. I understand all that. But wow, the institutional knowledge of that department just leaves and you've got all new people. So I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. Um, I do have a couple of suggestions if you are getting the same stupid answers from seller support. <laughs> so Please. when you... Yeah. When you write back to them, it's important to state clearly and in Amazonian language, if you can find out what that is, to state clearly, I need help with, and then state what you need. You have to state in the first line, my product is miscategorized. It should be in kitchen. 
I need help with this. Then number two, you say, I have already, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. I've already uploaded my new flat file. I've already reached out to whoever. I've already contacted seller support four times and no one will help me. So you just have quick bullets, what you've already done. Just doing that increases the opportunity of them actually fixing it by probably 50%. Wow, that's some great insight and will be very helpful for a lot of our listeners. Uh, that's really good, thank you. Uh, I could ask lots of questions about the ineptitude of seller support, but I'll get, <laughs> I'll, get so, I'll get so frustrated that I just won't move off it. So we'll, we'll move on just so that people listening as well, it doesn't just bring up bad memories. Um, a lot of our listeners are independent sellers, maybe vendors, you know, and they have a quote unquote small business on Amazon. It's a big, big platform, continues to grow. What are some of the things in this, as you mentioned, inflationary environment? What are some of the things that these independent sellers can do to continue to seed, uh, to, to continue to um, succeed, sorry, on this, uh, you know, maturing platform? Because it, it is maturing, right? It's becoming a bit more expensive to advertise. There's, there's lots of dynamics at play. What can independent sellers do to, yeah, continue to succeed? I think the money that is to be made is in niches, mm -hmm. really finding niche, <clears throat> excuse me, niche products mm -hmm. that you are not going to see as much competition or yeah. there might be competitors out there, but they aren't as educated and they aren't really great sellers on Amazon, which you mm -hmm. can figure that out by using a Helium 10 or a Jungle Scout. You can use these tools, do the research, and you can find niches where, where there's a reasonable number of products being sold, you know, 30 to 50 units per month, not really any good advertising, not great PPC, not a beautiful detail page. These things do exist where there's demand, but there could be more demand if it was done right, and really the top competitors aren't killing it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think there's great opportunity still there, and that also keeps you away from the large name brands and the giant sellers who it's going to be really difficult to compete. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What do you think about everything that's going on with Amazon and the, um, you know, the competition that they're seen to be you know, abusing their position or the lawsuits they're facing, especially there's a lot in the UK at the moment about, you know, I searched the other day and I posted it on Twitter. Uh, I searched for the brand Anchor and the first result was, you know, highlighted. Here's what here's something from one of our brands, and you know mm -hmm. the search intent is clearly for the brand Anchor, but Amazon put as the first result their own brand. You know, to me that just seems so disingenuous. Like, what's what do you see as the development of this? Are Amazon going to continue to be aggressive like this? Are, are they going to have to cull it back? How, how do you feel about where this is going? You know, this is so frustrating to me because Amazon is inviting legislation that none of us want mm. like no seller should want these antitrust bills because mm. when you dive deep into them they could actually destroy the third-party marketplace like require yeah. it to not exist they're so mm -hmm. extreme so amazon is doing this stupid stuff with these when you look at the revenue that they have on the platform, it's like less than 1% of the revenue on the platform. So that, you know, going to people's manufacturers 
who and, and trying to, to essentially have a successful private label sellers manufacturer manufacture a competitive product for for one of Amazon's brands. That is so sleazy. And mm. using this data that they are not supposed to be using, it is in all of Amazon's training and rules. There are employee all the employees have to sign these agreements saying that they're not going to use third party data this way. And they do it and everyone knows they do it and they've gone to the media. It makes me so angry because they are courting trouble. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a big problem last year with this um, Amazon Standards for Brands policy, which is still continuing, but less so, where they were trying to force sellers to price a certain way. And third party sellers, not vendors, and they're not allowed to do that. It is price fixing and it's illegal. And now that has mostly stopped. Um, because a lot of attorneys general in the United States got pretty angry about it, as they should. I don't know what it will take for someone inside of Amazon to say, you know, how about we just follow existing law? That'd be kind of cool. Because if we did, maybe all of these legislatures and governments would leave us alone. So I don't know the answer to that question, because... I, I think it defies all reason. I think what they are doing defies absolutely all reason. They're asking for trouble that none of us need. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. Definitely. Uh, so in terms of your client base is obviously very uh, you know, wide ranging. You would have some very successful sellers that you work with. What are you seeing as the, the keys, again, in this environment going into 2023 even? What are some of the things that you think sellers need to be doing in order to maximize revenue, but at the same time reduce risks? Because I think we've all seen the platform change over recent years that there was so much shady business going on that Amazon are beginning to clamp down on it. Um, and you do have to play a little bit safer if you want to think long term. What are you seeing as some of the most successful traits of sellers that are, uh, I don't want to say risk free because nothing ever is, but, you know, safe things that sellers are doing to maximize revenue. So first is doing whatever you can do to really develop a true brand. Just because mm. it's online, it doesn't mean it's not a brand. Yeah. And that branding isn't important. Um, there are still people out there selling what they have as branded products on the platform that have pretty reasonable sales volume that haven't gotten their trademark and done Amazon brand registry. You've got to do these basic things to protect yourself, protect your brand. And then you, you develop the A-plus content or whatever it's called now, I'm just slipping my mind, you know, yeah, the advanced yeah, yeah. Content, content where yeah, you're yeah, highlighting all of your products so that yeah. every time you do a brand launch or a product launch, it's not like you're starting from zero. You already yeah. have search terms on Amazon for your brand. You already have SEO built in and keywords around your other products in your brand. Um, I know that that seems like a very broad answer, but taking that view can really help you if if you're not like the seller who just finds random product over here, random product over here, random product over mm -hmm. here, and is yeah. marketing them all separately instead of holistically uh -huh. where it's really working together. Yeah. And speaking of build it, build it, 
can't speak myself. Uh, speaking of building brands, um, you guys would work a lot with aggregators from what I've seen in uh, different events and different things. You guys are closely related, would connect with them a lot, I'm sure. How do you feel that side of the, the business is going? Obviously, it became a huge thing in the last 18 months, quietened down now somewhat. Where do you see the trends of uh, mergers and acquisitions f in the Amazon space going? So that is such a great question. Lots of discussions about that in the last few weeks with lots of different people. Um, if you've built a nice brand that you would like to sell, there are still so many opportunities for that. And they go beyond just the aggregators at this point. There are still aggregators that are hungry to buy and paying really nice multiples. There's also private equity out there. There are some brand accelerators that in the past have only managed brands for customers that are now also acquiring brands of their own as well. So if you want to sell, sell, you can still do it. You may not get the same multiple you got last October, uh, but you can still sell. Uh, some of these are good with you walking away in 30 days. Some want to keep the owner on as an operator for one to mm -hmm. two years and have an earnout. Mm -hmm. Now, the aggregator space, I think it's just like any other industry that develops really fast and hot, and then there's a shakeout. Mm. It's kind of a normal course of doing business thing, right? Yeah. Um, we work with a lot of aggregators who are, I would say, a little more conservative, uh, really focused on the numbers. When they brought in brands, were really careful and choosy and tried to keep the operators on. And those are the ones right now who are really hanging on and still doing pretty well. Um, an interesting kind of reverse opportunity, there are aggregators now putting some of their brands on the market. And there are really? opportunities to buy those for nickels and dimes on the dollar um, wow. because they have figured out that those brands didn't fit their model or they didn't have an operator who could actually manage it well. So if you're a long-term seller and you're a good operator, there are opportunities to go pick up one of these for a few hundred thousand dollars and have a nice business that you could pretty quickly grow. Yeah, wow. You mentioned about things that these aggregators are looking for, you know, a good brand. Could you mm -hmm. speak to some of the features of in 2022 going into 2023, the things that uh, acquirers of these brands are looking for? Obviously, good brand, but, but what does that mean? What are some of the things that people that are selling right now should look to build over the next six to 12 months into their business that's going to make it more valuable? So they want recognizable branding and packaging as if you were going to take it into a retail store. So, yeah. you know, a lot of Amazon only brands, when you receive the, the product, like if it's a product in a bottle, it's just the bottle. There's no nice box that looks nicely branded. They're looking for things that are very nicely branded. They want multiple products that make sense in the brand family. They don't want to just grow the one product. One hero ASIN won't do it. If you've got 10 to 15 ASINs that make sense as a brand story, that is what they get super excited about. They want to see that they can actually improve on your numbers. So that means you have to have all of your numbers very clearly written down and understandable. A lot of sellers don't have beautiful books. You've got to take the time and invest with an accountant or an investment banker to have really gorgeous books that tell a story 
to show your contribution margin so that you can maximize and contribution margin is really important that will help you maximize what you get in the end yeah. um they they really understand that number yeah no that's great uh, and then just rounding things out finishing up on the the, the topic of risk and uh you know avoiding or, or, or minimizing risk there's always going to be risks when selling on amazon what are I mean, I'd be interested to hear uh, if I'm putting you on the spot here, but if you have any, you know, crazy stories of, uh, you know, hero skews that face, you know, great challenges and how they're overcome. Because I sometimes, I think early on as an Amazon seller, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I lost sleep, but I definitely was very nervous about the Amazon platform, you know, getting hijacked, getting a listing removed, this kind of thing. Uh, but the more I've gone on over time, the more you do see that these things are so solvable but you still do see horror stories in these horror stories where accounts get shut shut down for months on end listings get shut down for months on end now are there things that are like common themes that people don't talk about that are going on behind the scenes or is there a reality behind this crazy amazon shoot and then ask questions does that actually happen at that kind of size there are i've seen situations where asins were taken down and they were down for months and it was because the product owner had not done what they needed to do from the beginning. Mm. And I've seen ASINs that were taken down for months that they just weren't appealing well and came to us and we fixed it in a day. So yeah. I'll give you a couple of examples. Yeah. There is a cleaning product that is huge on Amazon. It was, we worked with them a long time ago, then they were acquired by an aggregator and have exploded um, back before they were acquired, they got taken down several times for um, complaints because people would complain about the odor of the product or they would complain about an adverse reaction of someone in the household to the product. This client at the beginning didn't have any testing at all on his product to show that it was wow. safe and he didn't even have a COA the first time uh, we worked with him. And you know, you've, you've, so thing number one, you've got to have the basic documents in place because if you end up having to do testing, it can take a long time to get it done, especially right now, all the labs are really backed up. And so your, your downtime is I'm waiting for docs. Um, and, and Amazon isn't going to accept your manufacturer's documents a lot of the time. They want it from an independent lab. Another example, there's patch testing, HRIPT testing. There are some products that require patch testing, like a lotion, for example, because it stays on your skin. And I've had several sellers of beauty products who had never done patch testing. It takes six weeks or eight weeks or longer, sometimes 12. Um, and that's on you because you didn't know that you needed the patch testing. Then there are just, then there's just products I would never sell because, <laughs> yeah. because you're kind of asking for it. And so I think the first question a seller should ask when they're contemplating this new private label product is, how can people hurt themselves or others with it? And do I want that liability and that potential takedown? So two great examples, a kitchen blowtorch, bad QA at the factory in China, a seam was opening up along the top of the blowtorch and then fire was just like pouring out of the side. And it, and I mean, you know, it's that's that's just bad and then a, another fire story a seat heater it's like a 
a pad that you put on your, your car seat and plug into the cigarette lighter to heat up. And it had a warning on the package. It did say, not for use on vehicles manufactured before like 1976 or something. Well, of course, do, do you really believe people are going to read that and follow it? So someone with a 1960s car plugged it in and his entire car was engulfed in flames. So there are just certain products where if you're not a gigantic company with you know unlimited lawyers um you should really just think twice and say do i really want to go down that road uh you know supplements is another one it's just people someone's tummy is always going to hurt y'all and when their tummy hurts and they complain to amazon your product gets taken down and then we have to prove it should go back up and do we get most of those back up yes but you have one bad manufacturing run and it, it goes downhill real fast. Yeah. Well, what do you think about the programs that Amazon introduced to try and help with some of the, um, the challenges sellers face, like transparency, for instance? Is it just another revenue-making scheme, or is it actually worthwhile? Transparency is, I think, the best paid program at Amazon. Um, there aren't very many paid programs at Amazon that I'm a fan of, uh, mm -hmm. because usually... To be frank, Amazon does a terrible job. Um, if you ask them to label your inventory, they do a terrible job. They put the wrong stickers on. Um, if you ask them to, what's, what's the other thing they've really been pushing lately? Oh, SAS Core, uh, where you pay them $5,000 a month and a percentage of revenue and they allegedly solve your problems. They're t unless you have one of the 10% of account reps that are good, don't waste your money. Um, transparency is awesome. You know why? It's because Amazon doesn't actually do anything. So <laughs> they create the 2D barcode and you make sure it gets on all the products that, that you're authorizing to be sold at the warehouse, right? And then yep. all they have to do is check and make sure that the product has the 2D barcode, which is yep. like hard-coded into their system that they have to make sure for that ASIN that it's got the barcode. So you're not really yep. depending on them. Transparency is awesome. I'm, I wouldn't pay for pretty much anything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does, it, does transparency solve hijackers completely? Oh, 95%. You know, everything has breakage. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As uh, spoken like a true uh, true professional. It's good. I like it. <laughs> um, good. This has been super helpful. I, I feel like I could, you know, ask you questions for hours, but you'll start charging me for consultancy. So uh, I will, um, I'll, I'll bring it to a close. Uh, but uh, I've personally used Riverbent and found you guys to be very, very helpful. Uh, where can people find out more about what you do and yourself connect with everything that you're doing? So you can find us online at riverbendconsulting.com. And we also have a phone number there of a US and a UK and some other countries as well. Um, and we actually answer our phones, y'all. We like have humans <laughs> so who rare. answer the phone and we'll tell you if we can help you or not. And if we can't, we refer you to someone who can. Um, also, if you go over on LinkedIn and look for Leslie Hensel, I post new content about Amazon almost every day of the week. And I'm also happy to take questions there. If someone has a challenge, they want to know if there's a quick, easy fix. Um, I, I, I definitely love to help when I can. And if not, see if there's something we can do as a company for you. Yeah, that's an awesome resource. We appreciate that, Leslie. We'll leave links in the show notes and description below. So guys, get on top of that. If you've got any problems with Amazon, which most of you probably will most weeks, um, check all of that information out. And uh, thank you, Leslie, for coming on the show today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me.
No, it's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening to the show today. We really appreciate you checking the show out. If you have liked it, make sure you do tune in for another episode next week and we'll see you real soon.